Imagine, oh, imagine not being a Chris Middleton guy. Oh, that'd be a tough scene. Oh, boy. Oh, couldn't be me. Nope. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. I really like Gordon Lightfoot. You all know, I think if you've listened to the show before, I have an affinity for Lake Superior, Gitchigumi, the song The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. But Gordon Lightfoot has a lot of other great tracks, too. If you could read my mind, early morning rain, sundown, lots of good ones. Just for a moment, I want to reference a line from his 1974 smash hit, Carefree Highway, which is a beautiful drive down in Arizona, by the way. The hook of this song goes like this, Carefree Highway, You've seen better days. The morning after blues from my head down to my shoes. The line, the morning after blues, always really landed with me. I've always found that a a poetic concept, right? Whether it be a late night at work, drank a little bit too much, maybe you reconnected with an ex-lover, right? You wake up in the morning, you got to deal with that. What a crummy feeling. The morning after blues. I have and woke up with the opposite of the morning after blues today. It's amazing. When Chris Middleton goes again for a career playoff high 38 and scores 20 points in the fourth quarter. It's funny when that happens, you wake up, the birds outside, they sound just a little bit sweeter. My morning oatmeal this morning, a little bit tastier, more fulfilling. That $15 parking ticket today bothers me slightly less. Still fairly annoying, but not as bad. Life is just a little bit better the day after Chris Middleton does uh, Chris Middleton things. Life sure is sweet when Chris Middleton is is going for 40 in the conference finals or in game seven or in game six. Life is good when Chris Middleton plays good. No morning after blues. Although maybe I'll listen to some Gordon Lightfoot today. Anyways, my name Grant Bills. This is the Wisco Sports Show, and I hope you had a splendid, terrific, fantastic, awesome weekend. Our sports teams made it easy. At least the Brewers and the Bucks did. What a special weekend for Milwaukee sports. The Brewers running through the Colorado Rockies, including some I mean, they were all good games. I was at Saturday's game. It was excellent. It was close until the eighth. Then we got a couple of ding bombs, one from Avi, one from Yelich. We had small ball. We had large ball. That's what you want to call it, home runs. So a great weekend from the Brewers. Eric Lauer was great yesterday. We got good Eric Lauer. I don't don't know if I'd hold my breath for that version of him next time, but that's okay. He's their last starter in the rotation. And then the Bucs winning both of their games against the Hawks. Friday night in blowout fashion, and last night it was close until Chris Middleton decided that uh, it was not close anymore. So an awesome weekend of Milwaukee sports. We're going to talk about it all. The way I see it, one minute today spent talking about Aaron Rodgers and the Packers is one minute stolen from the Bucks and Chris Middleton. So we're not going to do it. I know Mike Florio wrote some crazy offseason theory that Aaron Rodgers could like opt out and use COVID as an excuse. That seems like something Mike Florio would do in the offseason when he's going insane because there's nothing else to talk about. I even like Mike Florio, but sometimes this time of year, he starts to go a little bit stir crazy. You leave him in his office long enough and he'll just come up with the weirdest takes. It's like, I get the creativity here, Mike. Like I love a a crazy take as much as the next guy, but I think you maybe need to go outside and get some sunlight 
because this is this is bat you know what crazy. We're not going to do the Aaron Rodgers thing today because that would take away from the brilliance of the Bucks and Chris Middleton last night. So I want to focus mostly on that. You're welcome to join the show at any point. Send me a text, 608-796-2558. You know, can also tweet at me, at Wisco Grant. Follow me, tweet at me there if you're on Twitter. Today's show is going to be a little bit different. This is what I'm envisioning. We're going to do the first hour, four segments. I have four ideas on what I want to talk about. And then when five o'clock hits, we're just going to run it back. We're going to do the four same topics. And by that time, other people will have joined in to listen. We will have new ideas and new thoughts. And I'm thinking we do the first hour of the show. And then we turn around and we start again from the beginning. And we'll get different points and different ideas. And it will be a completely different show. But I want to start with these basic concepts. I want to start by talking about Chris Middleton. I want to talk about Coach Bud, who I thought had a very good game last night. A couple of interesting things that I was trying to pick out. I was like, there's some good stuff in here. So I want to talk about some of the good stuff that Coach Bud did, especially last night. And then for like the last... 10 minutes of the show, we'll talk about the Brewers. How's that sound good? In case it sounds a little repetitive, it's like, I think Grant already talked about this. Yeah, it's going to be by design. I want to hit these talking points, and then we're going to run it back and do it again at 5 o'clock. And my hope is that we get some new ideas and new energy, new listeners, new callers, new texters, all that stuff. Bucks won last night, 113-102. They're now up in the series 2-1. to There was a point in the third quarter where this game started to feel like how do I want to label this? One of those games where you just couldn't get over the hump. You hear that sometimes? It was a just couldn't get over the hump game. The 2015 Packers were notorious for these games where they would fall behind early and they'd be right there the whole game and they'd have opportunities and they just couldn't get over the hump. Remember 2015? That, I think, is the best example off the top of my mind. A team that was always losing just couldn't get over the hump games. They were right there, opportunities. It's there for the taking. They couldn't do it. That's what I thought this game was going to turn into, and that's what I tweeted last night. I was like, this is quickly becoming a just-couldn't-get-over-the-hump game, uh, and I was very wrong. I know I was very wrong because Zach Heilprin liked that tweet. He never likes any of my tweets unless I'm proven it. With this Wisconsin Sports Zone Network yeah. update, I'm Zach Heilprin. Thank you, Zach, for your spiteful likes on Twitter, as always. It almost turned into that game. It didn't. Chris Middleton wouldn't let it happen. He was brilliant. He was fantastic. He outscored Atlanta single-handedly in the fourth quarter, 20 points in the fourth quarter, 38 overall, which tied his career playoff high. If he just would have got at least one of the two or three three three-point shots he was fouled on that went uncalled, he probably would have had 41 or 42, a new career playoff high, but Chris Middleton doesn't get the whistle. Before we go any farther, here's my personal approach to discussing Chris Middleton on this show. Whether you love him or you hate him or you're somewhere in between, he's a very controversial figure. A lot of people have a lot of different opinions on him. Here's how I approach Chris Middleton. I love him. I want to support him. I want to see him do well. And in some instances, I think maybe I go over the top defending Chris Middleton because I think he takes a lot of flack for things that have nothing to do with him. And therefore, when he makes a mistake, I'm a little bit more ready to defend him for it and say that it's not a huge deal. Does that make sense? I think Chris Middleton takes so much flack that's not deserved. So when he does make a mistake or when he has a bad game, I'm a little bit more likely to defend him for it because I think he deserves it. I think he's earned that. Does that does that make sense? Is that fair? So that's where I'm coming from. Maybe I'm a little bit irrational about it. I feel the same way about Craig Council, right? I'll overextend myself a little bit to defend them, maybe even if they deserve a little criticism because I know they take criticism they don't already deserve. So I'm just here to balance things out. I'm, I'm just balancing out the Wisconsin sports universe. Whether you love Middleton or hate him, you got to be thrilled for him today. 
quiet guy, no flash. And I just love watching players prove a narrative wrong. I think that's why so many people, myself included at times, have enjoyed what Trey Young's doing. Because for the entire year, people said Trey Young's too small, he's soft, he can't play defense, he's not a leader, this and that. And to be fair, earlier this season, he wasn't all of those things. And then a switch just flipped, and he's turned it on. And that's fun to see him kind of break the mold and push back against the narrative that was created fairly for him earlier this year. And with Chris Middleton, people say, hey, he's not a real number two. He's really, really inconsistent. You can't win a title with him in your starting fight. You know, all these things. I like seeing players prove narratives wrong. It was cool to see Andy Reid do that by winning a Super Bowl or Clayton Kershaw in the World Series. It, it's cool to see that. I want to talk about some X's and O's stuff with Chris Middleton, but at the very end of the segment, I do want to come back to the story side of this because I think that's that's such a big part of, of last night's success and Chris Middleton just having a really good playoff so far. I want to get back to the story. Some X's and O's things. I want to examine the timeline of this game. Game three, Bucks are up 2-1, to one, a game in which they won 113-102. I want to examine the timeline of this game and how it developed from the beginning, the ups and downs, ebbs and flows. And we can look at how Chris Middleton played into those ups and downs until he ultimately scored 20 points by himself in the fourth quarter. First quarter, jump ball. Bucks come out sleepy. They're in a hole right away. It was a mess. And Atlanta, at one point, was up 25-10. to 10. The shooting numbers at this point in the game say it all. And I have them saved here. When Atlanta was up 25-10, to 10, this is how the switching was going. Bucks were 6 of 11 from the field, 0 of 3 on threes with three turnovers. You hear, oh, 6 of 11 from the field. That's pretty darn good. How are they down 15? Well, because they kept turning the ball over. They kept giving the Hawks free points. The Hawks were 10 of 14 and 5 of 8 from three. So the Bucks falling down 15 early, it was self-inflicted. It was mistakes. It was bonehead plays. It was brain farts. They shot pretty well from the field, 6 of 11, but they were still down by 15 because they were giving away free points and free possessions to Atlanta. Second quarter, Bucks clean up their act just a little bit. The score draws a little bit closer, and at halftime, it's tied. This is what I wrote down at halftime, a tie ball game. Ready? There's a couple of blurbs that I wrote down. Number one, so after all that, it's tied? Okay, I'll take it. Giannis never picked up his third foul. We seem to have more clarity on what works and what doesn't. And give Bud credit, he has taken a long approach so far in the postseason, and it's worked. Barely. Because it barely worked against the Nets. My second point. Everyone seems confident the Bucks' three-point shooting will progress. I've been waiting for that since Game 3 of the 2019 Eastern Conference Finals. At halftime, Atlanta was shooting 45% from three, Milwaukee 21. Naturally, people see that and think, oh my god, Atlanta's shooting the lights out and it's still tied? Oh, Bucks all the way in the second half. I needed to see it play out a little bit more. I also wrote down this. Bucks are having issues with brain fart plays. If they cut those out, they should be in good shape. This was my final observation at halftime. This is what I wrote down. Chris Middleton has 13 points on five of nine shooting. I think that's solid and worth more volume in the second half. And then in parentheses, I wrote this to myself. Check this after the game and see if they ramped him up. And they did. He was five of nine in the first half. And in the second half, he was 10 of 17. He almost doubled his output of shots in the second half. So they did ramp him up, and it was beautiful because he went off. Bucks are down two points after the third quarter, and we were frustrated. We were like, oh, my God, why is this team making it so hard? Chris Middleton is 7 of 13 at that point after the third, 2 of 6 from 3, so naturally he's getting heat. Oh, Chris Middleton, 7 of 13, 2 of 6 from 3. That's not any good. That's not good enough. They're not going to win on the road with that. And then he goes into closer mode in the fourth quarter. And I think as important as Chris Middleton making shots was – 
it was just as important that Coach Bud recognized what was going on and Giannis recognized what was going on. Andrew Holiday, for that matter. This is something we talked about last week. The fourth quarter and closing and timely shots. I don't care if Chris Middleton is 2 of 16 going into the fourth quarter. He is your closer. He shoots daggers. He hits the big bucket, and he closes out games. Yeah, Giannis can mix in a bucket here and there, and Drew can find a mismatch and get a bucket here and there. And maybe if somebody else finds a wide-open spot up three, Pat Connaughton, Bobby Bobby Portis, Bryn Forbes, one of those guys. But by and large, you're going through Chris Middleton. I don't care if he's missed every jumper he's taken up until the fourth quarter. You give him the ball anyways. This is what happened in Game 7 against Brooklyn. He didn't have it in the first or the second quarter. He was sluggish in the third. And then all of a sudden, he did in the fourth quarter. And the Bucs wisely gave him the ball anyways. He finished that game 5 of 10 with 13 points in the fourth quarter and in overtime. He was scoring and assisting on everything. Middleton is the Bucks' closer. Forget if he's a number one or a number two or a number three. He's Kobe and Giannis is Shaq. Okay, any sports talker with half a brain today is hammering that comparison. Hammering it. Because that's the most astute observation. It's not the Bucks are better with Chris Middleton closing the show. Or Middleton is the real number one. No, it's a Shaq and it's a Kobe situation. In fact, if you go back and you look at the Lakers' first title run with Shaq and Kobe in 2000, here are the stats for the Lakers for Shaq and Kobe in that postseason. Shaq was 31-15-3. Kobe was 21-5-4. Compare those two and their numbers to the Bucks so far in this postseason. Giannis, 29-13-5. Middleton, 23-8-5. Middleton's actually better in points, rebounds, and assists than Kobe was. Giannis, the scoring isn't quite there. The rebounds aren't quite there, but he's doing a better job facilitating. And I think Giannis's game awareness, his presence, his feel for where to go with the ball, when to shoot, when not to shoot in the fourth quarter, I think it's improved game by game. You go back and watch some of that Brooklyn series. He looked a little lost at times in the fourth quarter. He really seems to have a better feel now. And last night, that included involving Chris Middleton big time. Giannis has three quarters to beat up the opponent to stack up points, to carry the load. That's what Shaq did. But then when the fourth quarter came around, Shaq's a little bit limited. He doesn't have a jump shot. He's not great with free throws. So you can't run your offense through him. Now, you'll still catch some lobs. You'll get offensive rebounds. You'll make plays here and there. And Giannis did. He had a turnover, Dirk, one-legged jumper over Gallinari that was brilliant. He went over John Collins right down the pipe to get a good bucket, very similar to what he did against the Nets. I don't remember who he did that over. Maybe it was James Harden. So shades of what happened in that game seven. Giannis got his here and there. But by and large, he's the first through the third quarter. Then in the fourth, you're letting Chris Middleton run the show as the Lakers did with Kobe. And Giannis talked about this after the game. And like he kind of agreed with that presence. With that that presence. That makes no sense. He agreed with that premise. He's got the third and second and first quarters. Chris Middleton's got the fourth. I have have the whole game to be the guy. I don't care about being the guy in the fourth quarter. Whoever wants to be the guy in the fourth quarter. And uh, oh, Chris or Drew. Or PJ or Bobby or Brino, or whoever the case might be, and help us win game. That's what I, I care about. For the first three quarters, Giannis is smashing, dunking, cutting, running in transition. Yeah, he'll take a jumper here and there too. And then in the fourth quarter, it's tightened up, and you gotta trust and get the ball to Chris Middleton. I trust this guy to death. And uh, if he wants the ball, he gets it. Simple as that. He was knocking down shots. Does it really matter um, who's the first guy? It does not matter. We play basketball. You know, we try to win games. And if uh, Bobby can come in and help us win a game, I'll take that every day. I want to be a winner. Chris Middleton going off for 20 points and shooting the lights out is very important. It's crucial. It's huge. That was the turning point in the game. 
but also very important was Giannis and Bud and Drew realizing what was going on, feeling that out, and getting the ball to Chris, putting him in good positions, keeping an eye open. Where's Chris? All right, I got to keep my eye. If he comes open, he's getting the ball. That's important. That's crucial, crucial, crucial. And it builds off something we talked about last week. Even if Middleton's kind of sluggish through the first three quarters, you still go to him at the end of the game, and he keeps coming up big. Career playoff high, tied uh, after what he did in game six against the Nets, 38 points last night, 20 of those points in the fourth quarter. Let's take a break. I want to speak to a little bit of the story, the development of Middleton alongside the development of Giannis. I also want to figure out who is the Chris Middleton of the Packers and the Brewers? Very controversial, somehow overrated and underrated at the same time, paid a lot of money and is really, really good, but yet people don't really buy in. Who's his Packers comparison or his Brewers comparison? Something I was thinking about last night. We're talking all things Chris Middleton and the Bucks going up 2-1 in the Eastern Conference Finals last night, Game 3 in Atlanta, the final score, 113-102. Talk more about that coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. My name Grant Bills. Hope you had an excellent weekend. If you didn't know, Chris Middleton had 38 last night, 20 points in the fourth quarter. Just want to make sure everyone is loud and clear on that happening because somehow we're not talking about that enough today. I was watching First Take this morning. They were talking about Chauncey Billups getting hired by the Blazers because what else is one to talk about on a day like today? Naturally, Chauncey Billups. And are the Cowboys going to be good? We'll talk about that in the five o'clock hour. Don't worry. We'll. Talk plenty about Middleton before you, before you get to the Cowboys. God, I hate first take. 608-796-2558, the talk and text line. Thomas, thank you for reaching out. It is going to be a great week. You're absolutely right. Jordan says, how do you think that game would have ended if Trey Young hadn't have tweaked his ankle? That is the million-dollar question we won't know. It was shaping up to be amazing. I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how anybody is to know. Maybe it would have been... Stressful, right down to the wire. Trey Young and Chris Middleton trading big buckets. Maybe, or maybe it would have went exactly the same, or maybe Chris Middleton doesn't go off at all. I I don't know. Unfortunately, that's something we'll never know. Robin Stoddard says, with this Bucks hawks series, I have been enjoying it. Yes, I know I'm a Knicks fan, but I know a good series when I see one. Rob, I love you. Stoddard, Wisconsin, is actually a hidden bastion uh, of... Knicks fans down in River Country. A lot of people don't know that. The Knicks fans capital of the uh, of, of, of the Cooley region, of the Driftless region, yes. Mike in Madison says the modern NBA is a completely different animal. Huge point runs mean nothing. Turnovers are the difference, and the points that are scored from those turnovers, scored, scored from those turnovers are everything. Mike, you're not wrong. A 20-point deficit, a 15-point run, it's not the end of the world because teams can make up these deficits so quickly, which is why I have said for, not years, but I've said for months, the most dangerous lead in basketball is 19 to 25 points. As soon as you're above 25, it's a different conversation. But 19 to 25 points, dangerous lead. Never used to be that way. Schmidt says, hey, Grant, checking in. Can you mention the small ball lineup where the Bucks switched one through five? Worked slicker than, I can't repeat that, Schmidt. You're not wrong. It did work slick. And we're going to talk about Coach Bud and some of the adjustments. Adjustments that the Bucks made last night because there are a couple really good ones. And you might have not even noticed them if you weren't paying close attention. I didn't notice some of these until the third quarter, and then I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's been right in front of me the whole time. 
So we'll talk about some of those adjustments. And thank you, Schmidt. We are going to talk about switching one through five. That lineup was very successful. That's coming up in a few minutes. I want to talk about Chris Middleton. This is a, a subject, a topic that I've been chewing on since last night. It's more of a topic that you'd maybe hear on a really long podcast, but who cares? I was in the shower last night. I was watching highlights because I have a little shelf for my phone. In my shower, my shower curtain, it doesn't go as high as it's supposed to, so I can actually see over the top because I'm rather tall, so I can leave my phone outside the shower and watch videos. So I was watching the highlights before bed, and I got to pondering. The shower is relevant other than I do some of my best thinking in there. I got to pondering. Who is the Packers version of Chris Middleton or the Brewers version of Chris Middleton? Think about the adjectives for Middleton, right? Controversial, treated as a scapegoat when the team loses, but he's also an all-star, big contract, superstar contract, scoring 38 in the playoffs, clutch performer, has the respect of his peers, those who play against him and those who play with him, coaches, everybody likes Chris Middleton. Who has played for the Packers or the Brewers? who's been really, really good, but also hasn't been good enough to completely excuse himself from criticism. Because as a superstar, you reach a certain level. Like Christian Yelich has reached a level where, unless he's hitting like 150, we're not going to blame him when the team loses. Well, you know who's really been terrible? Christian Yelich. If he doesn't get his act together, we're going to trade him tomorrow. Like, nobody's saying that. Nobody says that about Rodgers. Right? But you say that about Chris Middleton because he's, he's just good enough to where he makes the money... And he has these awesome games, and he gets respect from everybody. He's not quite good enough to, like, c- clear the atmosphere of criticism, right? Like when a rocket's going into space, you get to a point where, oh, okay, we're kind of in the clear. You get out of the gravity a little bit, less wind resistance or whatever. I don't know. I'm not a space engineer. But you get to a certain height where you can kind of, like, ah, relax. We're out of there. Chris Middleton is, like, he's, like, almost. Not quite. He's, he's right there. The tip of Chris Middleton's rocket ship is like almost poking out of the atmosphere, but not quite. He's just in that area where he still gets a lot of criticism. And I'm trying to figure out which Packers player that is or which Brewers player that is. Maybe a good way to look at it is a player who's somehow overrated and underrated at the same time. I think the local narrative has remained pretty steady with Chris Middleton, not the national narrative. The local narrative, I think the smart local narrative has been in the state of Wisconsin. Chris Middleton is very, very good. He will give you amazing performances, but every once in a while, he's going to be off his game just a little bit. And if you watch him through that lens, you're never going to be upset. You're never going to be disappointed. You will understand. It's the same with Kirk Cousins. Like, he'll have a couple really good games, but every once in a while, he's going to have a stinker. And if you're looking for him to be the MVP or you're looking for him to be a complete and total bust that's worthy of a, a outright cut off the roster, you're going to be disappointed. He's somewhere in the middle. Same with Chris Middleton. The national narrative is... It's so stupid with Chris Middleton because nobody watches the Bucks. Like, it used to be Chris Middleton is a number four at best. Number three, maybe, on a, on a great team with two other superstars, but never a number two. He's not good enough. He, you will never win a uh, title with Chris Middleton as the second best player on your roster. Right? That's the easy take. It writes itself. You could say that about a bunch of people. You could say that about uh, CJ McCollum. You could say that about Russell Westbrook right now in in Washington. What other teams are, like, close but not really there? Ben Simmons. Well, you can't win. Uh, a playoff series, you can't win a title if Ben Simmons is your second-best player, right? You can just do the, we can't win if this is the second-best guy. You can use that argument for a million guys, which is why they use it for Chris Middleton because no one watches the Bucks. But if Chris Middleton goes for 38 again, as he did last night, we're going to start to shift from Chris Middleton is a number four to Giannis isn't even the best player on his own team. It's just ridiculous. I want to know who is that Packers player? Who is that Brewers player that 
fits that same mold. I think it's also worth mentioning that the Bucks are 9-0 and so far this postseason when Middleton shoots 40% or better. So he's also a huge indicator of team success. If Middleton plays well, the team plays well. So think about it. Which Packers player, which Brewers player is highly controversial, highly paid, not above criticism, and also a huge barometer of team success? I have a couple of answers. I don't think they're amazing. I don't think we've struck lightning yet with any of these answers. If you have one, please let me know. 608 7962558. You can also tweet me at Wisco Grant. Travis says the Packers version is MBS and the Brewers version is Keston Hira. Hmm. So now we have to we have to adjust for now we're talking about football, now we're talking about baseball. Like one football player, except maybe a quarterback, can't influence the game that Chris Middleton. Like you can't find a a, a football player and say, well, if he goes for 100 yards, the Packers win 100% of the time. Now, there are players that are very indicative of team success, but nothing like 9-0 and when Middleton shoots 40% or better. I want You know the stat I want to know? When MVS has a touchdown of 40 yards or greater. So, like, find me the games where MVS catches a bomb. How many of those do they win? I think that would be an interesting stat to look at. Keston here is controversial. He's certainly not above criticism. He might be a good barometer for success. He certainly was yesterday. He had a great game. I want to talk about that in about 20 minutes. I don't know if he has reached a level. Like, Chris Middleton is a top. Where would you put him in the league? Top top 30 player in the league? Top 30? I think that's fair. I don't think there's an argument to be made that Keston here is a top 30 player in baseball. Well, I'll tell you right now. There's not an argument to be made he's a top 30 player in baseball. Maybe one day. But with, with Keston here, we're talking about potential. MVS is a good comp. I have a few more, including one Packer who, I, like, I think this might be the closest comparison we have. Let's get to that on the other side. I see we have a few texts. I will get to your answers on the other side as well. And I want to talk about Coach Bud because I think he did some really sharp little things last night that a lot of people didn't notice. All that coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. My name Grant Bills. Chris Middleton scored 38 last night, 20 points in the fourth quarter. In case you didn't hear, or in case you forgot, since the last time I brought it up. Twitter at Wisco Grant, the talking text line, 608-796-2558. The question I'm just kind of throwing around here. Who's the Packers version of Chris Middleton? Or who is the Brewers version of Chris Middleton? It doesn't have to be current. Let's go back. If you if you have a poll from 2002, it's all fair here. Private Bing says Vogelback was an all-star. Good fit till he got hurt. He was seeing the ball very well. Uh, is he controversial? Uh, is he overrated and underrated? Uh, an indicator of team success? Uh, I don't know. I got to think more about that Vogelback one. Mike in Madison simply says, don't ask Dave. From Monona, he doesn't have a clue. Mike taking shots at Dave and Monona. Something you love to see, but also you... Hate to see it, but you love to see it at the same time. Billy says, talk about Bobby. Okay, fine. Let's talk about Bobby Portis. That's not something we really mentioned yet. And you lead me right into this next segment, Billy. Thank you. Bobby Portis had 15 points last night in only 17 minutes. He was perfect. He was exactly what they needed. And I think it was a button that Coach Bud pushed smartly. And on on Friday's show, we gave ourselves like 10 minutes as we were talking about Coach Bud. We limited ourselves. We're being smart. We said, hey, for the next 10 minutes, 
let's bring our criticisms to the table. Family meeting, intervention. What specifically do we love or what specifically do we hate about Coach Bud? We're not going to make fun of his voice or his face or call him a dumb, dumb, stupid idiot head. Like what? basketball, folks, X's nose, get the clipboard out, right? I think Coach Bud yesterday had a very sneaky good game in his own like, unique Coach Bud way, if that makes sense. Like, Coach Bud having a good game means something completely different than, like, Nick Nurse having a good game. You watch the Raptors, like, man, Nick Nurse, fingerprints are all over that win. And with Coach Bud, you're thinking, well, he just did the obvious thing. He didn't get in the way. Good. Great game for Coach Bud. The standard is a little bit different for Budenholzer than, I think, some other coaches around the league. Which is fine. All coaches are different. We should judge them differently. Different situations, different teams. Let's put it this way. Is there anything about last night that upset you about Coach Bud? Rotations, plays that were ran, minute distribution? No, I don't think so. I think Coach Bud had a very, very good game. Three specific things that I want to talk about. Number one is Bobby Portis, as Billy texted in. Thank you, Billy. 608-796-2558. I love that Bobby Portis is getting run. He didn't at all in the Brooklyn series. And right off the top, I feel like we got to give him props because he was put in mothballs for a couple of games, and now he's expected to come back out and play like that didn't happen, and, oh, you're an important member of the team, blah, 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 and he has. I'm not saying that he would get in his feelings and feel all down and sorry for himself because he didn't play against Brooklyn. Maybe he did. I don't I don't think that's Bobby Portis' style, but maybe some players would have fallen into that, and other players would just get rusty, and then they'd come out two weeks later, and their game doesn't look the same. Neither has happened with Bobby Portis, and that's impressive in and of itself. 17 minutes last night. 15 points on 12 shots, wonderful. And think of the things that Bobby Portis specifically adds to a basketball game, right? He's instant offense. He can create his own shot from the outside or from the inside. Very patient, but a good collection of post moves, good touch, right? He's instant offense who can create a shot. He's energy. He just, something about him. It rubs off on the players around him. It rubs off on the fans and they're at home. He's got some energy. He also has toughness. Like he'll mix it up. He'll push somebody around. He'll take it personally. And the Bucks started this game down 15 points. They were down 25 to 10. They needed all of those things. They needed the instant offense. They needed the energy. They needed the toughness. Somebody to get in there and shake it up and change the course, the momentum, the trajectory of the game. Bobby did all of those things because his game fits exactly what the Bucks need, needed last night, but I think in the series as well. Bobby also gives you some sneaky size. I don't know if a lot of people realize this. Bobby Portis is 6'10". He's a big boy. And he's listed as a center, which I think is something people forget about. The size of Bobby Portis, which is a big reason he didn't play against Brooklyn. They were looking to get smaller, not bigger. This Atlanta matchup gives them a little bit more flexibility to go big while going small. It's like, well, we're going to play small without Brooke Lopez, but we're going to also play big because Bobby Portis is 6'10", even though he doesn't really play like it. And not a lot of people know that unless they would have looked it up. And let's, ta- let's talk about size. I think another thing Coach Bud did well and the Bucks are doing well as this series progresses, they're going smaller sooner and more often. Brooke Lopez didn't play the final eight or nine minutes of the fourth quarter. I don't exactly remember when he checked out, but he didn't come back. He played 25 minutes total last night. Bucks went small. Giannis at the five. They're switching everything one through five. Very free-flowing, uh, very kind of corner-cutting defense. They're just doing what's easy. You're going to set a pick. Okay, fine, we'll screen. You're going to run over here. Okay, fine, we'll switch. 
you know what I mean? Path of least resistance type defense, and that will give any offense issues because there's no mismatches to hunt. There's nothing to chase. It's just, you're dealing with this amorphous blob that's just kind of in your way. When they switch one through five, that's the defense that the Bucks present. Here are some numbers for you. Brooke Lopez, in his time on the floor last night, was minus 17 and 24 minutes, which means the minutes that he wasn't on the floor, the minutes where the Bucks were switching one through five, 24 minutes in total, the Bucks were plus 28. Now, part of that was Trey Young's injury, so that number will be a little inflated. But they were successful going smaller and switching one through five defensively. They were also plus 17 last night in the minutes that Pat Connaughton played for Lopez. In fact, Pat Connaughton is plus 38 in this series, which is about the margin of victory in all these games when you add it all up. Going smaller is better. Sizes and everything, folks. You might think it's a cliche. You might think it's a lie to make some people feel better, but size size does matter, at least in the lineup that you're playing both offensively and defensively. This doesn't mean that Brooke Lopez shouldn't play at all. I see this a lot on social media. Why is Brooke Lopez even out there? He shouldn't see the floor the rest of the series. Oh, okay, really? Who do you... Those 25 minutes? Who do you want to play those 25 minutes? Jeff Teague? You want to go even smaller? I don't know about you. That sounds kind of stupid to me. Want to give Elijah Bryant run? We all hated that in Brooklyn. What about Diakite? You want Diakite? Well, then what do you mean Brooke Lopez shouldn't see the floor again? Realistically, which most sports fans aren't realistic, that's what makes this show so great. We're so grounded in facts and in numbers, right? <laughs> right? Brooke realistically is going to play like 25 to 27 solid minutes, give you what offense he can, and then in closing time you can reassess, and he'll probably be on the bench for a lot of the closing situations in these games, very similar to last night. I think last night was the ideal game from Brooke Lopez in this series, and that will change based on who they play next. It was different based on who they played previously. 25 minutes, 10 points, 6 or 7 shots, great. If you go any farther than that, I think the returns start to diminish. I think the curve starts to increase at a slower rate. Brooke Lopez, 10.6 shots. As soon as you start giving him more attempts, the returns aren't going to be as great. Not going to be as efficient. Not going to be as effective. Now, let's say Clint Capella gets hurt. Or John Collins and Clint Capella both have foul issues. Or the, the Hawks try to go extra big. And you need that big body, right? There are instances in which Brooke's utility increases or decreases. But that's up to Coach Bud to read the room game by game. I think last night he read the room beautifully. Get some minutes out of him. Get some points. And then in closing time, you go with the lineup that's best defensively. That's what they did. And it worked. They were plus 28 in 24 minutes that they switched one through five last night. Here's the adjustment I'm most excited to talk about. I went to bed thinking about this last night. I couldn't wait to talk about this today. I'm surprised I waited 44 minutes. I've been very patient today. I'm letting the show come to me. The Bucks were cherry picking last night. Did you notice this? It would be easy to miss if you weren't watching with the mindset of, of looking for things. Like when I watch Bucks games, I'm looking for things to talk about. So if you're just sitting back and watching the game, you might have not even noticed this. But at one point last night, this is word for word what I wrote down in my notes. In the first quarter, minutes barely had passed in this ballgame, and I wrote this down. They look to be intentionally pushing the ball down the court and almost trying to create transition chances where they aren't naturally happening. Does that make sense? I don't know why I asked myself if that made sense, by the way. In these notes, I'm talking to myself, and I'm asking myself if something made sense. Parentheses. Kind of create your own luck type of thing. So what I saw in the first quarter is it's like, it looks like the Bucs are almost forcing it in transition. They're, they're looking any opportunity they can to make a big pass. They're trying to do it. I'm watching the Bucs. They're just engineering ways to push the ball. 
it looked like an emphasis, like before the game. Hey, anytime you can push the ball down the floor, do it. And I, and I, I kept seeing it. And then I see this tweet from Seth Partnow of The Athletic, and I think, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. This is the stuff. This is the content. This is what we're looking for. This is what Seth tweeted. Appears that Bucks are deliberately having the big run out after the shot anytime they get switched onto Young or Williams. Have gotten a lot of good stuff in transition and size with that mismatch. Exactly. They're cherry picking. Anytime that especially Giannis or Brooke or Bobby, who are traditional forwards and centers, anytime that those guys were getting switched to guard the ball handler at the top of the key, let's say, let's be, use an explicit example to lay this out clearly. Bobby Portis gets switched onto Trey Young at the top of the key. The Hawks spread it out. It's one-on-one at the top. And Trey Young jacks a three-point shot. Bobby is sprinting to the hoop. He's cherry-picking. Because when that ball comes down, it either goes through or it doesn't. And if the rebound comes down to the Bucks, now you have Bobby Portis, who's 6'10", and he's standing under the hoop, and Trey Young is the only one back. Well, that's a bucket. You just throw the ball down the floor in transition. Nobody's had a chance to get back yet other than Bobby Portis. It's a free bucket. You're cherry-picking. It's a good way to kind of neutralize a big defending train at the top of the court. And let's be honest, Giannis and Bobby Portis at the top of the key defending Trey Young isn't nearly the catastrophe that a lot of people make it out to be. He's difficult to defend anyways. He's going to get past just about anybody, and he's going to get his shot over just about anybody. See, who cares if it's Bobby Portis or if it's P.J. Tucker or if it's Drew Holiday? Drew Holiday is big enough, and Chris Middleton big enough, by the way, where if they're put in this situation, they can cherry pick as well. And all the time throughout this game, it seemed as though Bucks players, when they were in any sort of expedited offense, off a miss, you're running off a turnover, or even a quick inbounds pass. Chris Middleton, Giannis, Drew, Brooke, Bobby, anybody with any sort of size, and Drew Holiday's big for his position, they seemed to be paying attention to who was on them. And Giannis, if he had any favorable matchup on him, he was running right to the block and looking for the ball. Drew Holiday was as well. Bobby Portis too. Bobby Portis at one point last night did this to Lou Williams. And Lou Williams even stripped the ball. Probably just grabbed it again, went up and dunked it. Right? Like, very, very smart. Because if you're going to switch Drew or Giannis or Bobby or Middleton, if you're going to switch him on to Trey Young and ask that player to defend Trey Young at the top of the key and then shoot a three, all right, good luck guarding him on the other end. Whether that shot goes in or not, now you have Trey Young one-on-one with Bobby Portis. There's only one way that's ending, especially if Trey Young's got a bum ankle. And that detail got entered into the equation last night in the fourth quarter when he stepped on the ref's foot. Bobby Portis was great. The lack of Brooke Lopez had really, really good effects. But also, I think these guys were just realizing their size. Drew, Giannis, Middleton, Bobby Portis all just realized, hey, you know what? We're really big. uh, And if we're going to be asked to guard ball handlers at the top of the key, well, we're just going to cherry pick and uh, the Hawks will do nothing about it. They can do nothing about it. And that's how the Bucs kind of stole a bunch of points last night. Uh, Mike says, we'll get to this before we take the break here. Mike says, Grant, I'm actually falling in love with Coach Bud. His answers always start with, yeah, he reminds me of my lawyer. Well, if that lawyer has remained your lawyer and you call him your lawyer, then he must be good because you keep going back to him. I don't know what that means about you, Mike, if you have uh, issues with the law. He is a little bit of a lawyer in his answer. He goes, yeah, no, Brooke was, Brooke was good. We just wanted to go in another direction in the fourth. He doesn't say a whole lot in press conferences. I thought... Last night was good for Coach Bud. I think it was good for Coach Bud and the Bucks in a couple of different ways, and we'll talk about that in the second half of the show. I want to share with you something Shaquille O'Neal said on TNT last night. I, I found it very elementary, but in a weird way, kind of a compliment to Coach Bud and the way the Bucks play, even if it doesn't seem like it. 
We'll get to that later on the show. A few minutes on the Brewers before we break at 5 o'clock. That coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. show my name grant bills i hope you had just a swell weekend and your week is off to a good start 608-796-2558 is the talk and text line you can text you can call you can also tweet me at wisco grant follow me there i tweeted anything interesting today not really just pro chris middleton things you got my timeline right now it's a lot of pro chris middleton conversations follow me or block me or Tweet hate at me. I guess that's what Twitter's for. At Wisco Grant, if Twitter is your thing. I feel like we got to talk about the Brewers for a couple of minutes. They had a fantastic weekend as well. We'll get back into the Bucks right after 5 o'clock, so we're not going to stay with the Brewers long. But I feel like we got to give them their due diligence. They've won five in a row. Closed out the series by winning two straight against the Diamondbacks and then swept the Rockies over the weekend. I can give a, some firsthand testimonial here. I was at the Brewers game on Saturday. I feel like I should obnoxiously talk about it or did I really even go? I don't think I posted any pictures or anything. So I don't think I was too obnoxious about it. Beat the Rockies 5-4 on Friday, 10-4 on Saturday. That's the game I was at. And then they won 5-0 yesterday. Eric Lauer was excellent yesterday. I Do we need to figure out what Eric Lauer is? That's what we need to do tomorrow. If we talk to David Gasper, and I haven't talked to him, so I don't know his availability. What do we do with Eric Lauer? Because I feel like we have a baseline expectation for most of the Brewers players, when Adrian Hauser takes the mound, kind of know what you're getting. Peralta, Burns, Woodruff. Manny Pena's in the batting order one day. You, you kind of know what's coming. What do we expect with Eric Lauer at this point? A couple of months ago, I had no idea and really no faith in the guy to put together a great outing. Now we've seen a little bit more of him. What What is Eric Lauer? What do, and I'm writing this down as I speak, what do we do with Eric Lauer? be a topic for tomorrow. He was good yesterday. He was really good yesterday. The Brewers' offense is pretty good this weekend as well. What did Lauer go? I think off the dome, what was it? Six innings, two hits, no earned runs, a couple strikeouts. Six innings, zero earned runs, six strikeouts, two walks. He had a good day. I want to talk about Saturday's game because that's the game I was at. and Selfishly, just why I want to talk about it. Being in Miller Park was the first time I was there in two years, maybe. I don't think I was there in 2019. I was there in 2018 a couple of times, including for the NLCS. And I'm bragging a little bit. They lost the game, so don't worry. It was painful. I didn't go last year at all because, obviously, there were no fans last year. And then it took me a couple of months to get there this season. It took me what were they, 44 and 33 through 77 games so far to finally get to American Family Field. They don't shoot fireworks after home runs anymore. What's with that? Now they flash the lights, and that's cool. I don't know, I kind of miss the fireworks. That's hardly an important takeaway, but something that's been weighing on me since Saturday afternoon. Saturday was the perfect Brewer game. If you were to ask to see a game in person, that's exactly what you would have wanted to see. Back and forth, they were scoring early, they were scoring in the middle of the ball game, and then it was tied in the eighth inning. And that's when the Brewers busted it open. So this was edge-of-your-seat baseball until the eighth inning. Got to see an Avi Garcia home run. I think, as Jeff Levering said on the broadcast, you could hang Sunday's laundry on that line drive, which I'd never heard before. That was a pretty good one. Colton Wong was great. Colton Wong had a bunt single, and Jace Peterson had a bunt that ended up working out really, really well, too. 
So our bunting crowd was satisfied on Saturday with what happened. Luis Urias had a big hit with runners in scoring position, and Christian Yelich had a home run and another hit. Christian Yelich had three RBIs on Saturday. The ceiling of this team gets considerably higher if Christian Yelich just plays all-star level baseball. MVP, we'll take it slowly. We'll get to that bridge when we, when we well, when we get there. Then we'll cross it, maybe, once we get there. If we get there. He's working through a back issue. He's coming back from a pretty substantial injury. It's something that's obviously being monitored. If he could just play like an all-star, forget an MVP. If he could play like an all-star, this team gets considerably more dangerous. And yesterday, Keston here is showing that when he plays really well, the Brewers can do some things. If Keston Hira can just be I don't, a warm body, he's been so bad. He, like His impact is, has been negligible or negative. Yesterday, Keston Hira had three RBIs, two hits, including a big home run. That looked like a really healthy swing, didn't it? I don't know. I, I think Saturday showed you what this team is capable of when Christian Yelich plays like an all-star. And yesterday showed you what can happen when Keston Hira just decides to, I don't know, have a pulse. The bar isn't set very high here. I think that's been the recurring theme about the Brewers the last two weeks. Something I keep saying. They, we're not asking the world here, folks. We're, we're not asking to trade for Manny Machado, and we're not asking for Christian Yelich to turn into, I don't know, Sammy Sosa in peak steroid years. We just need competence. Give us competence, and it'll be in the playoffs. I, I truly believe that. And the Brewers start a series with the Cubs tonight. Keep in mind, please, I need to get out ahead of this. Nobody calls this the I-94 rivalry. That's something that Bally Sports Wisconsin and everybody's trying to force. It's not called the I-94 rivalry. The War on 94, which is much more aptly named, is the rivalry between UW-Stout in Menominee and UW-Eau Claire in Eau Claire. That is the rivalry that's based around Interstate 94. Not this Brewers-Cubs thing. Nobody calls it the I-94 rivalry. I would really enjoy if we stopped that. Because I, nobody calls it that. Don't force it. I'm sick of it. Let's talk more about the Bucs. We're going to run that first half of the show back. I want to talk about Chris Middleton, talk about Coach Bud and all the great things the Bucs did last night, rehash a lot of the points we've already talked about, but from a different angle. We'll do that coming up in a few minutes. Wisco Sports Show back after this. (laughs) 